Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino here, CEO of Value Prop and your host on Business Growth on Purpose. And today's guest is Michael Sonberg. And Michael is a CEO of Rebel Culture. And we're going to talk about business culture because there's nothing more important right now as we're in this major transition that's taking place around the world of business the last couple of years to really understand it's such an important time and an important objective to really understand what's going on, what are some of the trends, and what are some of the practical things, especially owner leaders uh, of businesses can do to ensure that their culture is a growth culture, is a positive environment where people want to work and want to work well to accomplish the goals that you set forth for your business. So listen closely as Michael Sombert joins us right now. Welcome, Michael, to Business Growth on Purpose. Hey, thanks for having me, Jose. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so before we get started, as our audience knows, we always like to get context from our guests. So what do you do and who do you do it for? So I'm the CEO of two companies, uh, CEO and founder of two companies. The first is Skyrocket Education. We uh, coach school leaders and teachers in the urban school districts around the country. My other company is Rebel Culture, which is the one we'll be talking about today. And I coach business leaders to prioritize culture over everything, ensure that their teams are aligned, happy, and that they're achieving results. Wow. So a lot, a lot about uh, developing people, education, one in the school setting, one in the corporate setting. And so yeah, exactly, clearly that, that, uh, that, that is something that's, uh, that resonates with you and that you want to be part of. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Actually, my son's a high school teacher. So um, my, my oldest. So that's kind of interesting. So I'll, that'd be a separate conversation. <laughs> yeah, but, I feel like I have to add, the, I have to add the, the education piece on the front end, because ultimately what, what I do and what our team does is we just, we just coach people. So whether it's in, in the nonprofit education world, the district faith-based charter schools, or whether it's, you know, it, business corporate world across industries, um, we're ultimately just coaching folks and making them more effective. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a worthy work as they say. So I, I like that. <laughs> And, and, you know, so we talk about culture, right? And, and, and longtime listeners of our, of our podcast know that I often like to delve into this area of culture because, you know, in reality, there's no such thing as a business. I mean, there is, but what I mean is it's really people coming together to accomplish something, whatever that is, right? Whether it's just, you know, crassly, I just want to make more money or it's a job, whatever, but, they, but ultimately they have to make the widget, they have to deliver the service and they have to come together to do that. And so you would think, hey, if we hire 20 people, 30 people, 40 people in our business and we tell everybody what they should, what their job is, everything after that's magic. Everybody's going to get along. It's all going to work well together. <laughs> you know, collaboration will explode everywhere. And yet right. the reality is anyone who's run a business or owns a business, no, it isn't that simple. It doesn't happen that way. Right. So, so, and now we've had the last three years, one of the most tumultuous, you know, like real, like reset shifts in the world, it's not a local phenomenon, obviously through COVID and business is changing. And, and I mentioned to you before in the pre-show, uh, Wall Street Journal article about uh, employees at Apple, for example, which is a mega company, 170,000 employees, sure. but uh, have, rounding up a petition because now Apple wants people to come into work three days a week instead of working from home all five. That's a big change from when I was starting out of business. So, you know, and, yeah, me too, and so, me too. My, so my question to you, uh, Michael, is, 
you know, just simply, what do you see in your work is a temporary change in how businesses are running or how, or what do you think is actually going to be permanent? It's going to be here for a long time. That's a great question. I think the, ultimately, I think the pandemic, um, I don't think it caused a lot of the problems that we're seeing today. I think it revealed them. Uh, I think that it revealed the fact that there are teams that are disconnected, that there are people who are unfulfilled at work, that there are people who um, don't uh, work well with their coworkers and not because they don't get along necessarily, but because that isn't embedded in the in the DNA of the organization. And so your first point about like, hey, if you just hire 20, 30, 40 people and say, here's your job, go do it, things should work out well. That's what we actually see. I mean, you're, you're saying it, you're saying it jokingly, but it's because you've seen that play mm -hmm. out and it doesn't work. And so before the pandemic, there was for so many employees, for so many team members, it was like, well, this is just my reality. But after the, during, during and then after the pandemic, folks said, hey, actually, I don't have to deal with the, the lack of clarity about exactly what my job is and lack of feedback, lack of support. I mean, 60% of employees are saying like, I want more feedback from my boss. I don't get it. 91% of employees are saying they want more accountability in the workplace. That's the opposite of what so many leaders think. They think like, let's just let people do, what, do whatever they want. So to your, to your, to your more recent question, um, the thing that I think will be, uh, like, um, uh, you know, uh, kind of like, um, distance this, like this push for, um, we're, we're just going to all work from home. I, I think some companies will stay two, three days a week. I, I don't think that companies that have traditionally been in person will transition entirely to, um, to, 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 to working from a distance. I think people enjoy connectedness too much. There's something about being, uh, looking somebody in the eye and shaking somebody's hand. And so I get that there are companies now who are saying, hey, we're going to go from five to three. I think some of that may stick around, but I, I don't think that that's the wave of the future. I think the pendulum will swing back in the next, in the next couple of years uh, and folks will be back in, in places where it's necessary to, to more in-person work. Now, now, let me just pause you on that on that one thought, though, Michael. So how much of yeah, that, uh, if the pendulum swings the other way, how much of that's going to be kind of, let's call it staff-driven, where people say, I want to go into, I want an office. Like, if you're going to hire me, you got to give me a desk and a, and a space to work. Where now, yeah, people, you, all these stories, and it is all anecdotal, right? So so who knows the actual stats? But, I mean, people sure. studying this, so you, you probably know the stats. Uh, but the thought is, what I hear, is it's more likely that a potential employee, especially earlier in their career, are actually saying, I'm insisting that I get to work from home. You're saying the pendulum's gonna swing. So my question is, is that gonna come from people asking for the pendulum to swing or leadership saying, we just can't work this way. We have to be in a place number of days a week for us to do our job. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, and as you said, the data is not, uh, necessarily out yet. Here's what I where, what I think is going to drive it. Um, I think it's going to be about results. Um, I think that people are going to see that we get better. Step down to Jose's office and stick our head in and say, "Hey, can I ask you a question?" Versus setting a Zoom meeting and calendars and links and things like that. I think that folks are starting to see already. We're seeing it at our work that when folks are back in person. 
trainings, right, that, that were happening on Zoom screens with, you know, dozens of boxes are now happening and breakout rooms and electronic workbooks and things like that. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're able to pivot in a moment and say, hey, Jose and Michael, you all, you all, that's your, your team. You all go over there. And, and, and Tracy and, you know, and, and Aaron, you all are going over there. Like, uh, and that folks are going to see that we're able to be more effective, um, that whether it's surveys from employees, whether it's surveys from uh, partners, clients, or whether it's actually just the bottom line of like uh, of finances. Um, I think that folks are going to see that we're better uh, as an organization, as a team, when we're at least in person some of the time. And I think that that's going to I think that that's going to start to drive it. Now, one thing that's come up in, in I had a recent conversation, actually, my podcast on this very issue as well, which is you have people in the last three years who came out of college, got their first jobs yeah. and in a sense, didn't learn kind of the nonverbals of like basic business protocols. Right. Because they never had to. They were they were like it was like they graduated. They graduated virtually, which is pretty sad when you think about it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, so, yeah, it's, and then their first job was interviewed virtually, and then they actually started working virtually. So the stuff about like even managing yourself through an office environment, you know, just the human dynamics of that, right? Uh, showing up at a particular exact time, like you actually expected to show up at 8.30 and you expected to work till 5.30, you know, those things that they're actually at a disadvantage, just this whole like, generation is going to be at a disadvantage when that pendulum swings back. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, how does, how does an employer not get upset with those folks? It's not their fault that that was their first experience, but, but work with them to bring them along to some sort of new normal. I think it's great. It's a great question. I love that you said like, what does a leader do about that? Because you're right that that's the place to, to start. Um, the nobody could control what happened in the last couple of years. And, uh, it, it, it happened and it's uh, horrible. And, and we're all as leaders, I mean, everybody is humans, but we're all as leaders going to have to compensate for the different things that happened along the way. So a leader who has, um, who has the demographic that you described working on their team has to be incredibly intentional about explicitly teaching those things, naming the things when, when the pendulum swings back, hey, I want to name um, a reality for you, which sound, which is um, you've spent the last three years working in X environment. Um, it's now shifting to Y. Let me talk to you about five particular things that you're going to have to be really uh, aware of, and that I'm going to support you on as we transition to more in person. You know, A, B, C, D, E, like that type of thing. You know, as you know, Jose, like leadership doesn't happen by accident and culture doesn't happen by accident. I'd argue that the, the problem that we're trying to solve here in this, in this conversation and this question is not unlike lots of different problems that happen in the workplace. Sure, this one's probably more, more global than, than, than others, but we work with people all the time who like their employees gossip and they talk poorly about the bosses and their, and their colleagues. Like, so like, let's answer that question. How do we rectify that? It's not by magic. It's not that we cross our fingers and hope. We have a really explicit conversation about the expectations in the workplace and like why it's important to go right to the source, why it's important to come with solutions and not go to somebody else and talk about a third party. So 
really, I think that the leaders who are most well-equipped, who have the strongest cultures already, they're going to be able to explicitly name the things that folks need to be aware of and how they're going to support them along the way. The leaders who you know, kind of close their eyes and cross their fingers and hope things work out, they're going to be in big trouble. They're not going to set their teams up for success. And my worry is, my worry is, Jose, that the narrative is going to be that this generation of kids, of college kids, of graduates, just never learned the thing. And so they are behind the eight ball forever. I don't believe that's true. I think great leaders can get those folks caught up in, uh, in, in just a few months. Well, that's interesting. So, you know, as, as I'm listening to you, Michael, I, I love kind of the subtext of how you describe leadership, which is really building up your people. Yeah. Right. So often we think of and, and too often people intuitively think of of leadership as as, you know, bossy ship, you know, the ability to give orders. No uh, and, and you're characterizing it as something very different than that. So is that shift of thinking from you know, my job is to tell people what to do and their job is to do it versus my job is to help people be successful in what they need to do. So we're all successful. That shift. Um, and I don't think that's just necessarily generational. I've, I've met, I've met interesting characters at all age groups and backgrounds, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in that, in that, in that area. But I guess my question is how, somebody at the very top, right? Let's say even in a small mid-market company could have a hundred employees. And so you have like 15 managers. How do you inculcate that belief system or that way of being downstream so that it actually starts changing a company? Yeah. So the the first thing is the leader has to believe it, right? And there's a, there's a shift and this is not because of the pandemic. I mean, this has been going on for years. It's one of the reasons why I started Rebel Culture, because we talked to all these leaders and all these employees and in, in su- really successful and in some cases struggling companies. But the overwhelming theme was people were unhappy. And when we asked them why, it was like, I don't feel like I matter here. I feel like I'm being barked at all day. I don't, there's no accountability for anybody. I don't know what we're trying to accomplish. Like I'm, I don't get evaluated. I don't get feedback and things like that. I'm, I'm mostly directionless. And, and, and so getting orders or, or like I'm getting orders barked at me and I do, I do it because I don't want to get fired, but I don't really care about it. I'm not invested. And so the first thing that has to happen for it to go downstream, as you mentioned, is the leader actually has to believe that being a, being a boss is actually a sacred responsibility, that it's not that everybody works for you. It's that you actually like you have a responsibility to these people. They've, they've put their faith in you. They spend 33% of their lives following you and doing what, what they might even have given up on some of their own dreams to follow your dream, your mission, right? Your, your, your goals. And so leaders have to, have to have that mindset that this is actually an incredible gift that's been given. Now, this isn't, this doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable or that it's kumbaya all day. In fact, the opposite, right? We should have an incredibly high expectations environment and hold people incredibly accountable. But this idea that, that I'm the boss, so you do what I say, like, that's, that's great. That'll last for a little while. There are certainly examples of success, uh, people who've had success in that way. There's not a ton of them in this day and age of really long-term sustained, sustained success. So the first step is that the leader themselves actually has to believe it. And then it has to be embedded in every meeting. 
every one-to-one conversation with all uh, with with upper management with with lower management with anybody on the team like that this is an opportunity here hey if your employee if your if your employee jose is underperforming guess what you manage them that's on you you've got to own that mindset Everything that happens on this team is on us as the leaders. We either created it or we're allowing it to exist. And so if we adopt that mindset and we think of all these different pieces as not that folks are messing up or that they need to do what we, we say, but in fact, like they've given, they've put their faith in us. It's our job to make them as successful as possible. And it's embedded in every single conversation. It starts to become part of the culture. Well, it's interesting. Like, and obviously, you can't you can't have a long business conversation with somewhere along the line. Uh, sports metaphors come up, right? But yes, what yes. comes to mind is, you know, you don't you rarely see a a, a coach or a manager of a baseball or basketball team last ten years with a losing record. They're held accountable for the results of their team, and they have to make sure yeah. the team works. And so, one of my all time as a native New Yorker, all time favorite, I think greatest basketball coach I've ever seen is Pat Riley. Yeah. And not because he won with Los Angeles at showtime, but because he almost won with the Knicks, which were the exact opposite type of players. I mean, it was a completely different team. It's a yeah. lumbering, slow, defensive minded team. And he owned what he had. He said, this is what I got to work with. Yeah. And they got to one tip by Hakeem Olajuwon from winning. So there you go. <laughs> not that I feel bitter about it or anything. <laughs> I was going to say, you remember the exact, I mean, I remember, I'm a New Yorker too, man. And I remember those, those Pat Rally teams, but uh, yeah, it seems like it's top of mind for you still. <laughs> still, right? a little, little, little raw there, but, but anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm way, I'm hoping to see the Knicks win in bef- before I leave this earth. Uh, <laughs> you know, just just want to know. But anyway, all right. So no, that, that, that that's really great. Uh, you know, so I like the idea that, you know, really starts clearly starts from the top, right? It starts from the top, has to permeate and so on. But I know somebody listening to this who, let's say, is an owner of a 20, 30 person company say, well, you know, I don't, you know, what am I going to do? I, I can't send my people to all get, you know, Harvard MBAs. Uh, right. I, you know, I can't bring in real expensive, like training, like Practically speaking, what can I do to lean into what you're describing here? Because I like my people that like coming to work. I, that sounds like a good idea. Um, what can I do that isn't going to cost me an arm and a leg as a grand experiment? And, you know, I also don't want to just develop people so they leave me for better jobs. And then I got to do this thing all over again. Yeah. So those yeah. are things that they're wrestling with. And I think one of the impediments to people uh, taking deliberate steps towards improving leadership culture is because they're afraid it's it's the the ROI is not going to be there or they can't afford it in the first place. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, I think that you're right that folks are afraid. Um, I'm not sure it's about the ROI as much as what it would actually mean for them to be as vulnerable as they need to be and as humble as they'll need to be, and as open to feedback as they'll need to be to create the culture that they actually want. What we talk to leaders all the time, I say to, I say to leaders who are, who are in the exact same boat that you're describing, I say, what do you believe about yourself as a leader? What do you want to prioritize? What do you care about? What do you not care about? What, how do you want to be perceived by your team? Do you think they perceive you that way? Jose, unsurprisingly, most of the answers are like, I don't really know. I never really thought about it. Mm. So many people are leading teams without having done 
any of the intellectual prep around like, hey, what really matters here? What do we care about immensely? What are the things that we, we're not going to really sweat that much? And so we're trying to lead teams without even knowing. You bring up Pat Riley. Pat Riley said, hey, we are going to be a defensive team. We are gonna, we're going to be stronger than the other folks. We're going to get more loose balls than the other team. We're going to get offensive rebounds. We're going to get the defensive rebounds. Nobody's going to push us around. He had to define, looking around at the talent, What's going to matter here? What are we going to be better at than anybody else? And so we can bring in an outside consultant. And look, I am an outside consultant, so it probably sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm poo-pooing that idea. But you can bring in somebody like me. But if, you don't, if you're not going to do this stuff after I leave, it's not going to work, right? You have to believe, hey, this actually, this is how we're going to operate. So I'll give you an example. Like at my companies. Right. One of the things that I am maniacal about is people showing up on time. Like I am and, and meeting deadlines and deliverables. And if something's due at 5 p.m. on Thursday, if it's not, if it's not in my inbox by 502, I'm sending you an email. And that sounds probably for a lot of people listening, that probably sounds like holy, like holy cow, man. That seems like really intense. But here's my point. If we can't get the easy stuff figured out, I say this to my teams all the time. If we can't do the easy stuff, if we can't get to an 8:30 meeting on time. We have no chance of doing the hard stuff. We have no chance, right? We, we, we've got to be able to make the easy stuff easy. And so I'm maniacal about things like that, right? We communicate one time. Don't send me four emails that, that with four different sets of information that all could have been in one email. The, 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 so so I've, I've told my teams, like, these are the things that I am absolutely insane about. By the way, it's not as, a, as, a, as an autocrat. I've, I've gotten their feedback. Hey, can we agree on these different things? So for me, it's less about like, um, but but to, to, to pause for a second, I have to have the confidence in myself as a leader to be able to stand in front of a team of people and say, here are the things that we're going to be we're going to be unwavering about. Um, and I need you all to come along with me and I need you to understand my rationale for this. And when I hold you accountable for being three minutes late to a meeting, I need you to I need you to know it's I'm not being a jerk. It's because I need us to operate in a certain way and we need to operate in a certain way to be successful. So. I think for your folks listening who are in that boat of like, ah, I'm 20 to 30 people and don't have, maybe we don't have a ton of like kind of a, a ton of capital to spend on coaching or consultants and, and stuff like that. Start, start, start it. Like, what do you believe is a leader? What do you, what do you, what are you going to be absolutely maniacal about? Even if you have no idea how to execute it yet, start to think about those things that you really care about. Um, and, and because if we don't, if we don't get there first, it's going to be almost impossible to execute. And what's even worse is the leader who has strongly held beliefs, but never communicates them and kind of expects everyone to read his mind and then gets frustrated yeah. when they don't, when they're not actually good mind readers. By the way, that's good. That's good couples counsel, too, by the way. It's the same principle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we, we talk to leaders all the time. They, they tell us that it's, we, we talk about it internally in our teams, the, the whole they should know. Uh, they should know. They should know. They should know. Well, guess what? They don't know. Um, and you're the boss and you need to tell them and you need to coach them. Um, and it's pointless to waste energy on, on, they should know. My favorite one though, Jose, is when folks say, well, I've told them a million times, mm -hmm. um, what they're trying to illuminate there is that their team is, uh, incompetent or insubordinate. All they're doing is revealing for me or whoever else is listening that they're just not very convincing as leaders and that they're not, they're not somebody that at least in that current state 
who people want to follow. Uh, and so it is a waste of time to say, I told them they should know, or I've told them a million times. Um, these are just opportunities for leaders to be more effective. Wow. This is a really rich topic, Michael. Thank you so much for stopping by and sharing with us. And so somebody listening to this uh, podcast wanted to know more about you and your work. Where should they go online to learn more? Easy, man. Go to rebelculture.com. Send me an email on the site. You can fill out. We have a culture quiz that you can take to let you know where you stand in terms of your organizational culture. You can get to my social media from our website, but I, I, I just tell folks easiest way, go to rebelculture.com and check us out. Fantastic. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Jose, thanks for the hospitality, man. Go Yankees. I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.